Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, I'm Daz Smith and welcome to The Signal Line. Today's podcast was an open community remote viewing chat recorded August 13th, 2021. The podcast today was a community remote viewing discussion involving the topics of telepathic overlay, time, sketching in RV, CRV, stage 5, mind maps, modelling in CRV and many RV hints and tips. Have a good time, enjoy the show, take care. Um, on the whiteboard, uh, I think some of it to kickstart your start yourself off. Maybe the first ideogram was probably a little bit not forced, but you know, from from memory, um, from your RV sessions. But I think once you once you once that first ideogram's down and you restart the flow again, I think it just it's just almost like doing stage six. It just comes right back. Yeah, it just kinesthetically flows. And to be honest, it, and I've told everyone this all the time. The whole process of doing ideogram, not ideogram, doing your sessions stood up at a whiteboard, your whole body moving, pacing up and down. That's probably the better way to do RV than being sedimentary sat at a desk trying to do it. Because only half your body, you know, your your body is only being involved from the waist up in, in that regard. Jimmy, that's what you've been discovering, right? Yeah. Um, Angela told me to express myself more and I just stole the idea from Daz. You know, I, I've seen him so often do it in the Farsight days where I just said, you know, I'm going for it. She told me, you know, get rid of the fear and everything else there and just go for it. Daz has makes the point about the movement and expression. Um, it, you do, you get inspired when you're up there and you're excited and you just go for it and you're getting information, you're writing it down and it's different. It is different than sitting in a, a space because I had my gray area with all my you know gray spots where I was convinced that you know the early data from the you know Stargate people you know uh, at, at the military base, and then I decided after Andrew says, "Listen, you got to express yourself more," and I just said, "Okay, I'll do the whiteboard." <laughs> so, wow, yeah, I think it helps personally. Yeah. It just maybe it's my opinion. But you use that. Uh, Jimmy, were you doing your sessions live on the board or were you also replaying paper? No, sessions? no, I did a partial paper session and then I, like a musician, improvised some parts. Way to um, go. And, and just go with it. You know, I, I, I think it's the human condition, uh, you know, try to improvise a little bit or, or, or not stick with just what the facts and just see what happens. Take a chance. Um, and that's you know what I'm about, anyways. You know, from the music, from the I think of it more from a musician or artistic background type thing. Where I know Daz would probably say the same thing about his artwork or his pictures. That yeah, he could have three pictures on an angle here, but what if he stepped back five feet and it's darker here? Let's see what happens, and then go from there, like that type of thing. And that's the way I approach it now. Um, so I would try it, Don. And there's nothing yeah. to lose. And anybody else um, to see what happens? We're all learning. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to 
uh, video record my paper sessions. So when I sort of figured yeah. that all out, then uh, yeah. maybe I'll. Well, if you use the tablet, you know, because I'm a I'm a advocate of tablets nowadays. Like I use a Samsung one. I have a facility. I haven't used it yet, but there's a facility on my Samsung tablet that it it can record almost like a video all my all my brush strokes on the page and i can and if i want to speak it also record and sync the audio that i talk about with the brush strokes actually on the page so it, yeah okay now that right there is very interesting because what i've sort of discovered in my different variations on the video um is revealing the the words as if you were writing them helps people follow along. Um, I was trying boxes over them and that was distracting. And then I tried highlighting the words and that was distracting. But when you, you sort of see it being painted on the screen as if you were writing it. Yes, that's how it, it looks. It, it, it like hits home. That, it, yes. that's, the, that's the way. So, but I cannot replay my, my pen strokes like, and that's what you just said you can do, right? Yeah, I, I only played with it the once just to test it because uh, I use a different piece of software on it uh, because, you know, it's an Android tablet, so there's like hundreds that you can use. But yeah, it, it records it records your brush strokes uh, and you can record your voice as well at the same time. And, you know, it syncs it all up. So when you press the playback button, you see the strokes that magically appear on the page and you hear the voice of the, of the person at the same time. Oh, man, that's that's the best that can you can get and you know it saves it straight out as a pdf file as well which you can just email straight so there's no scanning or anything so you have all your files in one place without doing any work that's why i'm a great advocate for for moving to tablets nowadays they're, they're you know yeah. they, cut, they cut so much time out of the process yeah yeah well i've, I've been using the onyx box max yeah. three uh yeah. which is uh one of these tablets that have the uh they almost don't use any battery at all because they it's don't in, have any yeah, backlighting. Any ink display, yeah. Any ink, right. Yeah. And um, I was surprised that it does feel like paper to me when I put that uh, pen stylus to the uh, to the tablet. You know, I feel right at home. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, just today, I was just showing, just showing my partner actually before I came on, I downloaded a new uh, app today, a free app called uh, Sketchbook. Uh, and I was trying cartoons for the first time with that. And that that's just fun. It was just fantastic. It's got you know, it's got so many brushes on it, airbrushes, calligraphy brushes, and I just press a button and I get this wheel come up on the screen of hundreds of thousands of colors, and you can spin the wheel around to what color you want and stuff. It's just <laughs> so ingenious. And you literally, you know, you can you can pinch to zoom on on your picture, so you can pinch and zoom in right on the detail and then back out. Absolutely fantastic tool, especially for remote viewing. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, Brett, Brett Stewart uses one as well. He doesn't use a color one like I do, though. He uses the uh, the remarkable. I think he's got the remarkable too. Like most, like most people have got the remarkables. I did try the remarkable, and it's a fantastic tablet. Yeah, I liked it, but I didn't like the uh, the user interface. I think the user interface is a bit clunky. You know, trying to email myself the sessions and stuff like that. It just it was too temperamental for me. So I moved to the. Uh, Samsung and the Android ones, because you know it's just so just so easy for one of those. Mm -hmm. Did you use the uh, more recent one, Daz? I didn't. No, I was using Generation One. Got it. Yeah, the the speed uh, has come a, quite a long way with the Remarkable Two, as far as uh, the cloud 
like it basically it's like i just open the remarkable app on my computer and it just instantly pulls everything that's new right. off the tablet there used to be a delay yeah. uh they've made some big improvements with that though so it's it's actually really really fast now um but yeah i I've, i use remarkable too every single day for remote viewing and i just i think the texture is the thing i like the most about it compared to some of the other tablets okay. is, yeah. you, is you get you get a little bit of that resistance yeah. um that you wouldn't get on glass which i mean it doesn't mean you can't remote view really well on glass too but uh i just i'm so used to that feeling that i, I just a personal preference which is why i stick yeah. to it yeah yeah no i like I, I did remember i did like the feeling of the remarkable because it it literally does feel like paper when you're when you're drawing yep. on it it was just yep. a, just that clunky user interface it you know on that first generation it just yeah it just did it for me um but other than that it was fantastic and i think i'm like you i don't think i'd ever go back to uh paper rv sessions again never again <laughs> The, uh, the, yeah, I mean, the amount of time it saves me just in scanning alone is just, it's just hours a week. Okay, guys. So, yeah, sorry about that. We just went off on a tangent when we first came into the room here. So, hi, everyone. Uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're new here, what we do is uh, this is just going to be an open chat this evening. So, anyone can discuss anything to do with remote viewing questions or if you've got anything to share. Um, feel free to put your hand up using the reactions window. Uh, and then we'll get to you. Or if you don't want to speak, and if you still have a question, just type one up in the chat window and we can answer it that way. Um, yeah, so it's literally just open. So let's just see where the mic takes us, uh, really. Uh, and someone, Dimmy's up first. Yes. Hello. Hi, Des. Hello. Hi, everybody. So I just want to ask, because you're talking earlier be uh, uh, about the whiteboard, and I want to know if, uh, let's say, beginners or new newcomers, no, I don't know, like me, can uh, can use it, or we, we must have the, the I, I don't know, not about a session, can use it uh, after a paper, uh, after the session on the paper, uh, in that moment, as I, I'm stage free. So can I use it? Can we use it? All of us? Yeah, yeah. You feel free to use it. The only thing is, uh, you know, because you've, because you're you're working with me and I'm being your mentor at the moment. Yeah. You still have to find a way to get what you do on the white screen to me to to look at. So you would probably oh. have to get into the routine oh. of maybe. <laughs> yeah. You, you might have to step back and take a picture of every one of your screens before you okay. wipe it off okay i yeah. i never thought so. Honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean if you're if you're playing around with with non-practice stuff for me it would be good to use it starts maybe using it for operations and stuff but hey just get one and give it a try they're pretty inexpensive on uh, amazon i mean i and i haven't even used it yet and i've had it for a year but i bought an eight foot by six foot whiteboard it so it's okay. absolutely you know it literally is huge it's almost a whole wall that i've got in in one of one of the rooms here I could and use I something like this, yeah. thank you yes and you okay. know they're literally inexpensive and you can even get um on amazon now they even do these uh like roll up uh laminated kind of like plastic surfaces you can literally roll it up pin it onto the wall and when you're finished with it you can roll it back up again and put it in the tube until next time Kind of My thing. husband will be very happy about <laughs> not having this yeah. one. Okay, thank you very much. But give it, yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's not for practice for for me or something, give it a try because um, 
I do really think that the standing up kind of process, a bit like, you know, they're, they're starting the practice of people standing up when they're at work now on these standing desks and stuff. Um, it does something to you. I think it does something to you in the, in the RV process to be moving about, getting your feet involved. Up, uh, yeah. Up. It's really uh, way more kinesthetic than I think sat at a desk is. I think it would be transmitting to my entire body in a, yep. in a different way. So I, I could. Another I way could you could do it. The... And I did this many years ago is, and it's might even be more convenient is uh, you can get when people give presentations in, in, in Europe and UK to, uh, to groups of people, you can get these pads called Nobo pads. They're these big square pads. Okay. So they're about, about this big and you can get it and you, and it sits on a little tripod. And you can literally, so it's a pad of paper and you can draw on it and with, with, with your stuff and then you fold the sheets over. That would be okay. good because then, you, then you've got the sheets that you could just take pictures of instead okay. of wiping okay, it off. Okay, good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, you can just take all that down and fold that away and put it, put it behind a door or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, thank you. That's it. Excellent. Anyone else have anything? Oh, so we've got some questions in the window here. And there, yeah, there's some there's some details there to me about different stuff you can you can buy and stuff in the chat window by the looks of it. There's a question there. Um, Thank you. How do you resume a paper session on a whiteboard a couple of days after doing it on paper? Um, well, to be honest, a couple of days after doing it on paper will be very easy. But as I said to these guys here, I've actually had to do it in some instances months later. Um, so what I've done in that case is. I've gone back through the paper sessions as much as I can. And to be honest, it's, you know, if it's like three months later, it's very hard to take in 60 to a hundred pieces, you know, pieces of uh, paper and the information. So you, you just scan through it really said whiteboarding because, you know, I'm also the videographer and the sound person and all that and the lighting and everything. You're more worrying about that than doing the RV. But the moment you, I think, put your first ideogram on the on the whiteboard for some reason it just it just flows again and you you remember you probably don't remember all of it um but you do start to get into the signal line again uh, and it reinitiates new new flows of information as well so a lot of it's new information rather than than old information i must say i, I probably would i'd probably be on those extreme cases with a three month wait in between i probably do miss lots of data that i previously recorded but it is there in the paper sessions as well for any any real analysis yeah i mean you know it'd be hard for anyone to analyze a a, a video session anyway i would always think that the paper sessions would be better to score and fall back on so i don't think i don't think i'd like to ever go in a way where i do one or the other i think both together are probably an, an ideal solution on that uh, and was there a second part of this? Do you simply remember the session and feelings you had? Yeah, some of it's remembering and some of it's a, a new connection to the same, same target. Is there a shortcut method to resume sessions this way? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I fell into doing the whiteboard stuff. It was a, it was a technique uh, that HRVG pretty much uh, accomplished and, and, and gave us really under duress but they gave it to us okay so that's it on that one um anyone got any questions any or anything you want to chat about no one's got their hands up at the moment 
Nothing in particular. Well, this might be a short evening then. <laughs> well, we could have a we we could have a discussion I've been having with with Henny. Um, a really complex, but it's a really complex discussion we've been having about trying to work out a way to measure and uh, record and I don't know understand uh, the components of telepathic overlay within remote viewing. Um, Henny's come up with some solutions, uh, which I, I think we're going to talk about and, and need some more investigation and stuff, but they're, I think they're great starts. But it's a, uh, it's a conundrum that I've been thinking about for several years now, and I can't, uh, well, I haven't been able to work out a solution how to measure it or how to um, get around it. Someone asked what telepathic overlay is. Okay, this is complicated in itself. Um, within remote viewing, there have been many cases, uh, and I would say most of the cases where there aren't, there isn't enough feedback, or the feedback uh, could be up to interpretation. Um, there are instances recorded, and I got several on my on my on my website and in in the magazines. I can put the links up later, where different uh, different sets of remote viewers, for example, working the same target. And there's there's a there's a famous case called TWA eight hundred, which was the plane that that blew up over America. Uh, I think in the 90s, 90, 96, was it or something? So three different groups of remote viewers were at that very same target, uh, and they worked it all independently, separate from each other. Uh, two of the groups had uh, ex-military remote viewers in there from the Stargate unit, and the other group was uh, the Farsight Institute with Courtney Brown. And uh, they all worked the same target. You know, we know a plane exploded. Uh, so, you know, there is solid feedback for that. But, you know, there obviously isn't solid feedback for what caused the event of the explosion. Um, but all three different groups of viewers went for the, went for the exact same target. Uh, but every single group of those remote viewers all came up with a different explanation for the cause of the uh, explosion. Uh, and really, you know, uh, only one ex explanation for this can be true. Uh, I think the three explanations was a missile attack, a terrorist attack with a bomb on board, and a faulty component in, in the engine or, or in, in the plane itself. So that was the three different scenarios. It'd be very unlikely for any two of those or, or all three of those to uh, have occurred at the same time. So I think we can discount that. Um, but what it just does sh show is because each of the three groups all came up with a different scenario for it, that there's a possibility that the, the faults or the intents or the beliefs of the person tasking the target to each individual group may have influenced or affected the data that they reported back. Uh, and this doesn't just happen in uh, that case. It's a possibility that this happens in... Uh, I well, I, we got no way to prove this, but I think this might happen in a majority of remote viewing. A lot of people disagree with me on this, but I don't think there's any way to discount it at this stage. So that's yeah, so that's telepathic overlay. But we have to bear in mind uh, we're talking in a case here where where there's a tasker and there's a viewer unit. Uh, so we're thinking that the overlay might have come from the tasker in this case. But I've seen other cases as well where overlay may have come from 
one of the other remote viewers working with you as a group. Um, and there was also a possibility when we, when we worked cases and targets like, for example, uh, the, the, the last US election, which as far as I'm aware, virtually every remote viewing group out there got wrong, including two groups that I ran, both got it wrong. There is a, there's a possibility that the reason we got it wrong, I mean, there's two possibilities. One, because we're looking so far into the future that, you know, when we look at the future there, they are less accurate. Um, the second possibility in that case is that it could have been Tasker overlay. I don't think so in my examples of that. Um, but the third possibility is that it was what we call social overlay as well, that there was so much noise going on globally around the world at that, at that stage that that may have affected the, uh, the data that the remote was pulled in. So overlay or telepathic overlay doesn't just have to come from the tasker. It can come from anyone involved in the project or target. And I also believe that it can come from anyone that reviews the project in the future as well. But I, we can't yet prove this either. Um, and I say this because we don't yet know at which point the remote viewer is going to in, in the past, present or future to get the information. Um, so it's sort of really complex situation we have within remote viewing. And what worries me about it mainly is, you know, I, I just get tasked with doing a lot of esoteric kind of targets, some with scant feedback. And you just wonder when you do a lot of these is, is the information coming from the tasker and you're just parrot repeating what they want you to say, or are you actually getting real proper data from, from the target? Um, and we have to bear in mind that all remote viewing probably has a telepathic component because you have a tasker over here who blindly sets a target and you have the viewers over here who have to somehow have a connection with this tasker. And the only thing I can think it be would be some kind of telepathic connection for them to know, you know, at a level of subconscious or unconsciousness of what this, what this target is and where to go and get, get the data. So I think there's always some kind of communication there. I don't know if telepathic is the right word for it. There's always some kind of dialogue or communication at some level. Um, but yes, it's a complex subject, one that hasn't been explored enough, in my opinion, within uh, remote viewing. So that's where we are with it, really. And, and Henny and myself today, we were going through some different scenarios, and she was trying to come up with some solutions on how we could explore uh trying to measure this um i'm not sure if, if we're there yet because it's so complex because uh as i said time really doesn't exist much for for remote viewing so no matter how we try to set up a scenario of a target unless we keep all the people involved in the project completely blind till the end of time uh they may just be going to a point in the future where they do get what the feedback is in the information and then presenting that in the past is their data. So it's, it, again, it's very complex. I don't know if Henny has anything she wants to add to this on any of her solutions she's coming up with. Yeah, I think I just linked one uh, research that I found today. Uh, it was done by uh, Graf and it was measuring the evidence for retroposition. They were uh, doing experiments with when I suggested non-existing targets and uh, target coupling or target setting or the existence of the target came back later. And uh, 
they were doing it only with, I think, two viewers, but they came back with uh, with the data or with the hypothesis hypothesis proved that uh, by by the data they got, uh, it is much more likely that retrocausation is happening uh, than it would be if like the correlation of data between the future targets that were not existing at the time that they were doing the test. They were actually doing something similar to ERV, I think. I linked it in there. Um, and uh, yeah, they said that that's probably uh, a way to prove that there is retro causation. So part of the solution that I offered as to measure it is probably going to hand handle the retro causation part of, of uh, the thing. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe like there's even simpler uh, ways to handle that, probably queuing correctly or queuing to limit the viewer uh, can be a solution. Like, for example, viewers could be asked, group of viewers could be asked to remote view the target, end of story. The second part of the viewers could be probably tasked with remote view the target as understood by the tasker remote view of the target as understood by and with with many subtasks we might see if there is a well it's significant which would be statistically significant difference between the groups and their results so it can be it probably can be done much more <laughs> much more simplistically than i, I first offered <laughs> a solution for. <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, I think we we, we have to try. I started reading uh, previous uh, previous uh, experiments on that. It seems like there was several e experiments with ESP and remote viewing and retrocausation. So I'm gonna dig into them and see what they come up with, so that we don't have to reprove things that have been already tested, tried, and said probably uh, true, and just focus on on the overlay part. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds good. I'll see if I can get some um, some clarification from uh, Dr. Ed May because he believes that all remote viewing can be um, can be explained by us looking into the future and getting the information. I'm not convinced on that, and I, I know several people aren't. But you know, he he's a very credible scientist with with decades of work behind him so he must have some kind of data or papers to to back that up in some way can i just ask what is the definition of retro causation is it what you just said you go into the future or you remote view the feedback when it's revealed that is that retro causation yeah it, it would be something like uh in the in the moment of now like time flowing backwards or or Right now, we believe in, a, uh, or we think in a way that something happening right now is the cause for something in the future. So you have the cause right now in the present, and you have the effect in the future. The retro causation uh, changes the flow of time or the flow of causation effect, and it says that something in the future is the cause for an effect in the present, and that. Wow, and that, I've never that, heard of that. Wow. Yeah, that, that is uh, measured by Dr. Graf to be probably true in, in, uh, in remote viewing or ESP type of, of uh, side abilities. Okay, thank so I you. A, I have a 
question about this or a thought, because this is, well, I have a lot I can say on this, but I guess the question I have is, um, if a viewer never was shown the task, then they shouldn't be able to describe it if that is the, mechan the mechanical functioning of how remote viewing works, right? Like if it was, you know, uh, the thing was picked, a remote viewer is supposed to remote view it, the tasker set the intention never to show the viewer, they burned the photo, you know, it was gone and that was it and they never talked about it again, then technically under that model, remote viewing should not work. Is that true? I don't think so because that would only not work if remote viewer was a remote viewing the feedback, but you are sending them to the target, not the feedback. The fact that he doesn't get feedback on what the target was doesn't mean the target didn't exist and he couldn't see it. My well, I guess what is, if the future is affecting the past, then where would the viewer be getting the data from the future if they never got any feedback? How would they ever know is the question. Well, and therefore, if they didn't know, how would they ever be getting data? It, no, if, if I, I mean, I'm absolutely not an authority on this, but my logic uh -huh. would say that just because you don't see the feedback doesn't mean you, you don't get target contact. The only thing you don't know when you don't have feedback is how good you, you measured up, how accurate you were. But uh, all asked, like you had a target, the only way you don't, uh, you don't remote view a target if you don't have a target, like if you have empty coordinates. Nothing is assigned for this, this coordinate, then you, you view nothing. But okay, otherwise, I guess I'm not, if you I... just not see the feedback, doesn't mean that you didn't have a target and you didn't work it. Right. I, maybe I'm, I'm not being clear about what I mean. Uh, this is the thing. The reason I bring this up is because I've had uh, someone on many occasions for myself and uh, someone else that I work with, we were given tasks where the intent of the tasker was not to give us feedback and to see if we could remote view accurately what the tasker chose. And on each of those occasions, there was rather significant, I mean, I still don't know what those things are today, but there were rather significant hits on those. Some of them were objects. Some of them, one of them was a photo. One of them was an item down a desk. I mean, uh, that was for somebody else. I didn't, I didn't, I have no idea what any of these ones were precisely, but there's never any feedback given to the viewer. So there's never any future event for the viewer to have that he, they could transport back in time to give them in the past when they're running the session. So there's but, never, there never was a loop to occur. And so if there's never was a loop, then what was going on if it was retrocausal? Well, there's, there's still a loop with the people involved in the experiment though, isn't there? But just because they're involved, they're not telling. But see, that's the thing. So you're saying that but they don't. Just they don't also someone else. They don't involved, also tell you the. Uh, they don't tell you the target, but you know what the target is. So are you saying it's telepathy then? That their understanding of it is tell you're telepathically getting it. Uh, I don't know what Ed's definition of of it is, but you know, we everyone that's involved in the experiment can affect the experiment, and we we automatically as remote viewers know what you know what the target is without knowing what the target is so there is a connection there is an invisible connection there isn't there so what if a computer randomly selects it well good good question um that's something that would need to be looked at i think yes i think that 
and the viewers not getting any feedback would be uh-huh. an interesting experiment. Or changing, now, changing the target during the experiment and see if there is a difference. Ooh, yes. If you change, you assign the target coordinates. When you begin, you let viewers view and then somewhere along the line, you change the target. Because I mean, setting that up would blind be position. Right. Setting up blind pools, I mean, that's been done for, for a long time in remote viewing, where a computer just randomly selects a picture out of a pool, and there was no tasker who set it up. It's just a randomly random number associated with one of these random things out of the pools, and then the viewer remote views it. And I guess at some point, someone has to look at the feedback to see how well that viewer did. Uh, the viewer doesn't have to be that person, though, to see, well, did you do a good job or not, right? It could be someone else. So I say, hey, I had this computer randomly generate something for me. No one yeah. picked it. And that still works. And so uh, I guess I have a hard time believing that there's a future point in time that people are sending information back over the model of information just exists more like a database that you're turning your attention to and you're just pulling information out of a database as opposed to these time loops um, that have been written about more in popular culture lately, where it's like the future memory that you have is what, that's that there's a really popular book right now. It's called Time Loops. I forget the guy's name, but where he thinks all psi is, or precognition, not psi, um, is because of future memory. And it just, it just doesn't, maybe I'm missing something, but for me, it just doesn't click. It doesn't make sense to me personally. I could obviously be totally wrong, but uh, uh, just my own personal thoughts about it, I guess. It's a hard one, isn't it? Uh, I, I, maybe maybe we're talking about a, a moving scale here of, of different things that's happening in, in different situations. They could both be true too, is the thing. Like they aren't mutually exclusive. There could be things where there are instances where there is information being trans, quote unquote, transmitted back from the future to the present, retrocausal, while also there being in exit part of reality, a database of information that also human consciousness has the ability to tap into and extract, like download data from the internet, that, that kind of idea. Those, those aren't mutually exclusive concepts. And so maybe both can happen. Who knows? Yeah. But I mean, it's hard to, hard to tell when you can't look under the hood. <laughs> the problem I have with the, uh, with the library database thing is uh, why would there be displacement? Why would there be so much error? And why would there be overlay if we were just accessing a, a library or a database of information? Yes, I can answer that really easily. You know, so so far I have some friends that work as librarians, right? And whenever I tell them that, you know, hey guys, last last month you had everything cataloged this way. Now I can't find the book. They tell me, well, welcome to the club. It's been more than 300 years and we have not figured it out, not even with computers. <laughs> we, we can do this and then we find a loophole and then we end up with at least three different cataloging processes in, in, the, in the library. So... Next time, just ask us. And, you know, I asked a guy uh, in, in the company I used to work before why they were keeping all their monetary records in paper in Panama. And I figured it out after the Panama Papers fiasco came in, you know. If you didn't have anything in, in, in an electronic format, it was never ending. So they, they, they covered themselves by doing that by hand and having really complex systems that overlap. They just wanted to add that. I would, uh, if 
my ideas on that concept of, well, why would there be displacement and why would there be three different groups that get got different things is probably, I mean, I can only guess, but I imagine it to be, this is a multivariable problem. It could be from bad analysis to, I'm not saying that happened in any of these cases, but it could be, it could be bias from the judges or the, during the analysis that this is what this meant. Mm -hmm. um, uh, someone else might, I mean, McMonagall believes that there's no such thing as displacement. That is just viewer error and that the viewer just made an error. It's like you picked the wrong, the viewer picked the wrong book off the shelf. Um, I'm not sure if I fully am in agreement with that one of the idea that there's no such thing as displacement, <laughs> but uh, that is another idea that's out there. But I think it's, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's the viewer. It's the skill of the viewer is another thing that could come into account here is that you got the wrong answer because perhaps you just don't, I don't, you know, more training. I don't know. <laughs> I need more training, uh, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, we're all coming up with some great ideas and suggestions and answers here, but I think we can all agree that it needs a head of a lot more uh, understanding and research because we, we really don't understand what's going on with any of this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There was one thing that John Herlosky came up with when he was on your show. And that was, um, he was talking about a remote viewing session where he was the teacher guiding his students to, I think it was the Titanic, um, under the sea. And um, he realized they weren't like showing up. He was doing the, uh, what is it, where you go to sleep and you, you uh, what is that? Is that a ARV? ERV. ERV. Yeah. And... Um, so what he did was he stood on the bow of the Titanic. Apparently he was bilocated. He knew he was there and he went to the bow and he lit up to attract his students. And I think someone asked the question on the, the this chat, if I remote viewed that event now, would I see you there lighting up? And he said, no. And that was important. That's like you're, there's some sort of other thing. There's, there's this overlay of real time versus this historical matrix of, of data that you're remote viewing. I haven't figured out how to use that data, but it seemed vitally important. It's interesting, Don, because, and I've said this to other people as well like for example i you know i've got a big target pool on my website for example and thousands of people have used those targets now and you know those targets are pretty much set some of them are pretty much set you know because they say you know the, the time of the event is the time of the photograph for example which is a set moment in time and for example on the eiffel tower one and i probably i don't know if that's one on there but i think i got the eiffel tower in that target pool and i think it's got viewer must move to the time of the photograph and, and describe now if ten thousand people as remote viewers are then that target and they're all going to that target at the same time i haven't seen a single session or had any of those remote viewers come back saying i saw nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine other remote viewers at that target in fact i've never seen a remote viewing session yet in thousands and i've looked through the stargate archives in goes everything where remote viewers have seen other remote viewers at a target site. That Never. is an interesting detail. I've never seen that either. Yeah. 
you know, so if we were actually physically ever going to a target and that target for those photograph ones would be set to a millisecond in time and tens of thousands of people have all done the same target, not a single one has ever reported any other remote viewer, then I think the chances are we aren't going anywhere. The, the data is, we're just accessing the data. So what is that saying then, that we, our intellect is a separate thing and uh, re what we remote view is some sort of matrix that's separate from us? Oh, this is this is why we're here to discuss things, because it's just, you know, 20, for, well, you know, they've been researching this since 72 and no one's come up with any good, good explanations for what's going on. I think, to be honest, like when John did his experiment, I think we're all creators in what we're doing and what he was creating at that time and place, what he was doing, he was creating the reality for that experiment and him being there, creating it for that moment, made it, made it happen, you know, dependent on the belief system, all those people involved in that room with him. Oh, hmm. like a shared belief system. Yeah. And I think that happens sometimes with groups that, uh, work together for long periods of time as well. For example, um, you know, the many years I worked at Farsight, I can't remember how many years it is, must have been about eight years or so. And I find this with all situations of remote green groups that I that I join in and, and participate in. The first several experiments and months as you're feeding each other out as a team are always a little bit rocky. You know, you don't really trust a person that's tasking you a target, so you don't know how it's going to go. So I find that the data you report is a little bit edgy, you know, you're half on half off. It's, it's never really amazing hits, but once you really, as a team of people start to really trust each other and get into a flow, it's almost like uh, being in a marriage. You almost like everything syncs up. And I guess it's a bit like the, I re recently wrote an article on this on, on a, on a, a thing that's being explored quite a lot called brain syncing. And I think that the brain sinking that happens is, is, is a thing that happens immensely within RV as well. Um, yeah, In other just, words, a purely physical brain as opposed to... I they've actually measured it. Uh, it's in the article. They know the frequencies, the actual frequencies of people, people that work projects together as, as, as team projects. They find that their brains start to sink and they all resonate at the same frequencies. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that, you know, John in his room might have had that kind of short term brain sinking effect with the people in the room. And because, yeah, and it essentially is a bit like the films, The Matrix, what you believe you make it, you make it real for that time you're, you're there. In, in wow, the it blows my mind. <laughs> RV always blows my mind. All this is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, you do get people to say, we know, you know, we have the answers, you know, none of this happens, blah, blah, blah. But we, we don't, none of us know with any of this. And that's what makes it so amazing. And what blows me away as well is, you know, like the, you know, what Brett was talking about just now, you know, maybe more than one solution to this. It's almost to me, and, I, and it's growing, growing more in my belief system that it almost feels like what the mechanism is behind this RV thing is almost a life form of consciousness of its own. We're having this trickster effect. You know, you think, you think you've mastered it as a remote viewer. You think you're there. You're on the edge of really understanding it. And then it throws you a curveball and then you're back to square one. And you're like, well, how does that work? Um, it does seem to be that way. And, you know, the way that 
we were discussing, you know, maybe different things, different scenarios where the overlay happens in depend or getting data from the future and bringing it back to the past. Maybe that happens you know, one time, but another time it happens in a different approach. Is for a different approach to work in a different situation, situation would that mean that there's some kind of a conscious kind of mechanism there that's making a choice saying, okay, you're not using this solution to get it this time. You'll go to the, you'll go to the future, get it and bring it back. Cause that way's block. You know, there seems to be some kind of, um, intelligent. Routing. Yeah. It's a routing mechanism. Almost. Yes. Yes. It's a, yeah. It almost seems to be like, yeah. Like we would use the internet with a router and stuff, you know, one way's blocked, you know, you need a new IP address. You're going this way to get the data coming, but that would need some kind of mechanism behind it to take those actions. Um, and that's why I feel there is, there does seem to be this something there that's, that's, I don't know, manipulating or controlling or moving uh, how we interact with this. Interesting observation. I, I can't prove any of it, but it just feels that way. Yeah. Uh, on, on, I just saw some um, talk about Pat Price in the uh, and his. Uh, he didn't get feedback on something because he died. I was uh, I inter uh, some of the guys on here. I, I've shared this with, but I haven't put it public yet. But I interviewed the, the uh, director of Third Eye Spies. Uh, a week or so back, Lance Mangia, uh, specifically because uh, I heard that he recorded a, a specific segment and we detailed this and I, I, will, I will put the video out in a couple of weeks. Um, but in this segment, and you guys may have seen the documentary Third Eye Spies, um, there's a partner with Hedda Hamid uh, and she was, uh, she was doing an experiment, I think around about 74 with, with uh, Russell Targ. And she was uh, describing uh, an overpass it was close to SRI. So it was an overpass that goes over a road and they were, rec they recorded it all at a time. Uh, and it was an outbounder where how put off went to the overpass and she had to see how, how put off walking on the overpass. And, you know, she did it all and they recorded it. It was an amazing hit. Um, but what they found, and this is where, this is, this is where it just gets, just blows me away is that happened in 1974. Lance Mangia made the documentaries just two or three years ago where they went back to the overpass, you know, to film extra footage for, for the documentary. And this time he took, uh, he took Russell Targ instead of Harry Putoff. So Russell Targ was there in the overpass, you know, and he was walking around and, you know, Russell Targ, as you know, he's got a slight problems and stuff. He's getting on in age. And he, you know, he, uh, Lance was saying he was kind of hunched up, uh, not finding his way around very well. And then he said that when they got back to the studio, they listened to the original recording from 1974 of Hella Hamid. And bear in mind, you know, she'd been dead quite a few years now, uh, well before they filmed this documentary. And as they were listening to the tape of what she recorded in 1974, it actually dawned on them that it looks like she was actually describing a composite of how put off there in 1974 looking around and also Russell Targ looking there in our time just a couple of years ago because her descriptions were of a man that was hunched hunched over uh finding it hard to walk around and and in the 70s uh that was not how put off and he, she she also describes on the tape that they had to go he, there was an object in the middle of the walkway that they had to walk around that didn't exist in the 70s and it's a bike block now to st slow bikes down on the path and that was only put there in the late 90s years after Hena Hamid had actually died so this is just like mind-bogglingly complex. 
but yes, yeah, so all that's on, on this video and I'll, I'll be putting that out in a couple of weeks. But I heard the story of that and I wanted to ask him expressly about it because that just blows me away that Heather Hamid was actually getting data from, from the documentary decade, a year, or uh, a decade or more after she'd actually died and then bringing it back to 1974. And I was saying, Lance, for her to get that data from that documentary, the, um, the chain of events that would have to happen in sequence for all this to happen, for, you know, Lance to eventually 20, 30 years later to make a documentary about remote viewing, for her to bring that information back to 1974 is just mind-bogglingly complex. And my, I, just, I just like, can you imagine, you know, how many singular little details have to go in line over decades for that to actually happen? Yeah, mind-bogging. Anyway, yeah, so that, that will be out in uh, probably a week or two's time that I'll, I'll put that whole thing out for you guys to, to watch. Uh, Paul's had his hand up for a while. Sorry, Paul. Yeah, uh, thanks, Daz. Um, I, I had a couple of uh, topics I wanted to raise for, for your comment uh, that have caused me to have a significant drop in my volume of remote viewing. I used to... to do ARV twice a day. And I'm now down to about twice a week because of some stuff that's, you know, I've picked up in these uh, Friday sessions. I'll, I'll give you two examples. The, the first example, a couple of months ago, somebody in my meditation group came to me and wanted my medical opinion about getting the COVID vaccine. Uh, they said they'd had breast cancer, chemotherapy, and had really, you know, almost died from the chemo. And they wanted to know if there was any data regarding uh, the safety of COVID and people who had you know, serious illnesses like they'd had. And, and there wasn't, so I, I turned to, to ARB. I did six sessions and uh, they were absolutely blowout sessions. I mean, they were just amazing hits for all six of them. And all six of them said, no, don't get the vaccine. And the person was sitting right next to me the whole time. I was talking him through and showing him how it worked and, uh, you know, how I would randomly pick the uh, targets and randomly pick the yes, no answer and so forth. And uh, it was all. And then the person turned around and went and got the vaccinated anyway, because <laughs> they were virtually the only one in, that we knew that hadn't been vaccinated. And so far, they've done fine. So I, you know, I, I'm left with two possibilities. One is that this was just a very strong telepathic overlay that this person had concerns, and I picked that up and, you know, dutifully reported it. And the other is that it really will be a problem that may show sometime in the future. I can tell you that the person they were concerned about lymph nodes showing up if they get the shot in their arm, so they got the shot in their leg. This was very you know, very ingenious. Um, so the, the first concern I had was telepathic overlay and how to, to design a question and a, and a topic that eliminated that. And I'm, I'm struggling with that. And that's a big part of my volume drop off. The second, the second thing has to do with uh, a number of people have said that you really shouldn't re uh, remote view other persons without their permission. You know, you don't snoop. And uh, I mean, I suppose it's one thing if it's Project Stargate and you're, you've got to find information on the Russians and you're in uniform and this is your job, that's, that's one thing. But it's another if you're just trying to understand why somebody does something and you know, you're uh, uh, remote viewing them without 
their permission. So, um, you know, my my uh, number of sessions is dropping dropped off between concerns about whether there's telepathic overlay and concerned about whether I have permission to to do any questions that are anything other than directly related to myself. So, I don't know what your your thoughts are on this. Okay, uh, we can start on the overlay. I mean, you know, it's best to try to get rid of it as much as possible, as possible in doing, you know, proper blind or double blind experiments. Um, that's a good way. Um, and trying to work with people that don't have um, massively preconceived ideas that they're trying to telepath, you know, and you can you can you can kind of get an opinion on that by when you when you talk to someone, you know, for example, I have to be honest probably working for Courtney for all those years, the experiments that we did may have been massively compromised because of Courtney's steadfast belief systems in everything ET that has gone on for, well, since I've known him do RV, which is, you know, back the 96 when he wrote his first book, Cosmic Voyage. So you have to bear in mind that he's probably too biased in one way so you know you it's try is trying to find people that have an open mind uh, as much as possible on any of the projects you're working with and, they, and they're not you know they don't have a steadfast fast belief system on projects with uh scant feedback because you know if you have a project with like the eiffel tower we you know we we have pictures video we know the eiffel tower exists it's there millions of people have seen it those kind of targets you shouldn't have any and any telepathic overlay on because the feedback is unequivocal, really. Um, so that's how to deal with the, with the telepathic overlay. Uh, try to keep it as scientific as possible and try to keep the people as open-minded and non-biased as possible that you're working with as part of the team. Uh, and that includes the viewers as well. If you're working in a viewing team, and let's say you're working on some kind of weird esoteric target where one of the viewers has a real hardcore step-off belief that they've been you know building for several decades then that may you have we have to be honest that may impact the team remote viewing for that project especially if they are uh, a more powerful you know psychic telepath remote viewer than you are or the rest of the group are we have to bear that in mind something else you guys should also worry about i mean not so much me because i don't do public target pulls is that every target pool that's out there probably in the public domain at the moment mine Lim buchanan's uh several others out there they're all they're all targets that are created by trained psychics and remote viewers with which all have our step path belief systems does that influence what you get as remote viewers you know am am i unconsciously in my target pool push pushing my opinion of the target out with each target bearing in mind that you know i'm a psychic uh then then if the target pool was created by someone that with no psychic ability i don't know that's something that would need to be uh investigated as well but yeah i was just chucking that one out there um i can't remember what the second question was now what was the second question sorry Uh, it was on snooping. <laughs> oh, snooping. Yeah, this is a hard one. Um, very hard. Um, ethically, oh, if we go by the proper rules of etiquette and being ethical and moral, 
looking probably looking at any person without their uh consent would be wrong <laughs> but i pretty much do it every target i do <laughs> i don't know what to say on it really um because, you know, you're working blind as well, so you don't know what the target is or where it is, what time it is or anything. And if you pick up there's life there and it's your job and your responsibility to your client to give them information, I report the information on the life form there and I do move inside them and look at their thoughts and their intentions and all that kind of stuff. You know, I do it every week with... um with crypto viewing because you know we do these crypto targets there where we look at the cryptocurrencies each week and they're blind they're blind to a degree you know there are twelve thousand of them so it's it's one in twelve thousand um but each one i look at those on a weekly basis i always look at the primary person or the ceo involved in that company that that looks at that crypto and you know quite often i will go inside them and we you know me me dick and and edward and niam get really good accurate results this we did one this week alone where we went inside the CEOs of a company and all of us reported uh, problems with legal problems. I was talking about embezzlement. We were looking at legal papers and loads of errors and stuff. And it just happened to be a crypto that's having lots of legal issues and they're going for the court and stuff. But we, you know, we were literally going inside the mind or, or the headspace of this person describing issues and legal problems and all this kind of stuff. Is that, is that ethical? It's a hard one, isn't it? Probably not ethical, but is it provable in a court of law? I mean, does that make it right? I don't know. It's 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 a hard it's a hard one, and as I said, I struggle with this myself because I know I cross the line all the time. And as another example, I did two hundred and fifty missing persons cases for the Find Me group and the police. Several times, I was asked to find uh, suspects. The problem is. I was given descriptions and locations for suspects wanted in case of, you know, missing people and murders and stuff. But by the laws of, you know, America, because I'm in the UK, so it doesn't apply to me, but the laws of America, you're innocent until proven guilty. So am I, even though the police are asking me to snoop on someone to bring them to justice, they're still innocent until they've been proved in a court of law. So is that, is that ethical? Is it moral? So, do you know what I mean? It's, it's got, all this has got huge implications. And I, I find it very hard to understand where I, where I personally sit. I, I try to re- go by the rules of trying to do no harm to anyone. Um, and that's all I can, I can personally say on this. On the bigger questions, it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a messy quagmire of, of where we go. This. I think each of us individually have to make our own, own minds on this, really. That's all I can offer on it. Anyone else got any viewpoints on that one? No, you're all being quiet on that just, one. Just, I, I just want to to say, how how can you impose ethics or being moral during a, anyway, when you are tasked with with this, with the target, you c- cannot. It's a hard one. I know Irva have got some ethical guidelines on their website. I don't know if anyone's seen them. Let me see if I can pull them up and put them in the chat window. Um, which are interesting. Um, I don't know if we'd ever be able to impose them on anyone though um as i said and um, you know bearing in mind we're all in different countries as well so we all got different laws and all that kind of stuff um 
yeah, I think I think it's up to you guys to make up your own mind on it, really, what you're comfortable with. For example, I would never, and I've been asked many times if I would uh, remote influence situations um, and, you know, it's just somewhere I just, I'm just not ever comfortable in going in, any, in, in anything like that. Right, so I found the ethical guidelines from Irva. I'll put them in the window. I don't particularly agree with these, but you guys can have a look at them and see what you think. So there's a link there in the window to uh, Irva's ethical, and they call them guidelines, I think, rather than rules. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. Ethics have been talked about for several decades now within remote viewing, but I don't think anyone's come up with a with a a solution on this just i would say try to not do any harm to anyone and you have to individually make up your own minds on what you can live with i think that's what i can offer on that one yeah well das i i think when uh you're talking remote influencing uh when a timeline will change yeah i'm very clear that uh when the when the former guy didn't get reelected, that uh that the remote viewers, there may have been a dozen or more that were very solidly predicting re-election. They, they weren't really wrong. They, they were correct at the time that they did it, but that things changed, um, the timeline changed at the last minute. And that may very well have been an act of remote influencing by somebody. And, and so you've, you've drawn a line there. I know Lynn Buchanan has been in the same position. He's drawn a line there. And, um, but do, yeah, I mean, you know, do, did you really want the former guy to be back again? I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, um, it's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. You've given some great answers though, about do no harm with, um, snooping choice or, and, um, you've also said to be scientific about telepathic overlay, uh, designing questions and that's been very helpful to me and I appreciate it and I thank you. Yeah, no worries. But I have to be honest as well. Um, like in the, in the RV session, we all just did for this cryptocurrency where all four remote viewers said it looks dodgy, you know, look at, look at these people involved, their lawsuits, all kinds of stuff happening. You know, we got this with remote viewing data and then when we got the feedback from Dennis on the target, they are actually going through lawsuits and stuff at, at this time so i feel that we are uh, cr not crossing the line i think we're on the line of ethical responsibility on that because we do have patrons that pay us for information and we are essentially saying you know our intuition tells you to be wary of these people um so yeah i think we're close to, i think sometimes we step close to the line of, of ethical and moral uh responsibilities i have to be honest on that um uh but you know we also have responsibilities to uh to our patrons that are essentially our clients you know to give them as truthful information that is as, as possible it's 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 an interesting topic as i said so yeah thanks for bringing it up it's it's complex and i don't think we're ever going to uh to solve it <laughs> not in any time soon but yeah thanks for talking about it anyway Daz, could I add something to that? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I'm sure you heard the story of Uri Galler. He was actually hired, I heard, I read, to do that against, against Americans' enemies. 
Now, I don't know how much I believed Uri Geller because he seems sometimes uncredible, but he has an interesting story about that, he tells. And uh, he was hired supposedly by our CIA and uh, to, to do that, to influence on our part, you know, the American side, other uh, people and sub-generals. He has an interesting story, but I, I don't know what to think of Early Geller personally, you know. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like anything is, anything goes, so to speak, if it's true. Um, so I think it's just an interesting story. And I don't know much about remote influencing. I've never experienced it. So I'm completely lost on the subject. I mean, do you believe it's really possible, possible? I'm not saying you can't influence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I believe it's possible because I've seen studies on uh, the effects of prayer. Right. And on, yeah. on a, a remote healing. And, you know, if prayer and remote healing works, then that's just another essential offshoot of what variation right yeah yeah with remote yeah. viewing you know you would put your attention somewhere else to cause some uh, an effect and we know and you know i know for myself you know because i did an experiment with a guy up in scotland called andrew usher uh several years ago we did a, a remote viewing uh remote influence experiment because uh, he, he bought himself a random number generator and you know it's just attaches to a computer and then it prints out on the screen and on a sheet of paper a, a random number uh, sequence and it generally has a, a bell curve that goes you know up and down um, and we set a target for me to look at and these in Scotland so that's like three four hundred miles away uh, and I RV'd it with the intention at the same time to make the random number generator not be random which I managed to do uh, we only ran the one test but yeah I literally just did a, a quick RV session and, and that worked so you know that showed me that this kind of stuff's happened but I've also seen you know, and read lots of reports on, on prayer and remote healing as well. And that works. It's just something I've never dared to go into myself because the effects, the effects would worry me. Um, yeah. About honing that ability, I think, because you would only need someone that's, and you know, not everyone within remote viewing is a, is a sane person. <laughs> you would only need someone with a, an ulterior motive to learn to do something like that. And I think it could be potentially quite damaging to people. But I know the, uh, and we have to be honest here, the, uh, the Stargate unit did look into remote influencing. They didn't call it that mind. They called it RA, which was remote action. I found several reports of, uh, working to remote action. And I found one report from the, uh, very early 80s that I've got, and it details a list of all the remote action experiments that they were going to do, and some of them were quite quite shocking, um, but I can never find any confirmation past that one single document if any any of that took place. And the remote A, the RA, the remote action side of, of what happened in the Stargate unit kind of SRI scenario is a little bit shrouded in in secrecy uh, a little bit more than the remote viewing side of things but we do we do know from early ingo stuff you know he was doing stuff with cleve baxter and early sci uh sci experiments aspr where he was affecting uh temperatures in sealed containers in other rooms he was making the temperatures go up and down in, in those and i think there was some kind of bacteria ex uh, experiments as well that they were doing 
where he affected bacteria and stuff. So, you know, and we know about his famous magnetometer experiment, you know, where he, he did the output from that. So we know it happens. It's just, just something that scares me to, to look into, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Not everyone's as, as nice as we are talking about this on a Friday night. There was an interesting program, uh, a lecture series I just saw a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about remote healing. And, um, uh, you know, they had some healers who had approached the subject and, you know, the person did um, have some healing effect. But then they had the same healer uh, heal somebody hundreds of miles away and they still had a healing effect. And the question that they were asking was, well, if it's not a physical thing, what is doing the healing? And they surprised me by saying something like, is the healing data? In other words, you're sending data to this remote person hundreds of miles away, and that data helps you heal. I don't completely understand this concept. This is a new thing for me. I just thought I would mention it because it is sort of different from anything else that I heard about. All right, well, that sounds interesting. If you could find the uh, uh, any details of that, Don, you know, the link or, or the name of the program and stuff, I'd, I'd be interested in following that one up. Yeah, uh, you know, I might be able to find that. I, I'll have to look. Yeah, yeah, just if you can, like, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for that, guys. Okay, Pablo, you've had your hand up for a while as well. Would you like to go next? Absolutely. Thank you, Das. So just wanted to add something, you know, uh, when talking about uh, the overlay, we could check it from the outside perspective, right? Not, not just the, the, the actual RV perspective. And when I started learning RV, uh, the, the guy that, that, you know, was teaching the, the group, he was a big fan of Carl Jung, you know, and most of us have heard of him on the theories, the collective unconscious and so on. And even though we don't have proof of that happening, there were a lot of experiments with, uh, you know, collective or, you know, uh, lots of people experiencing the same things. Also in other uh, studies, you know, even Ingo refers that in some of his books, you know, we, we could see like weather impacts in, in how people think. So kind of pointing to the, the fact that we are not individuals all the time, but also like a, a big organism. No, I'm not. I'm not saying like, you know, the sci-fi movies where all the aliens are controlled by the, the mother brain or something like that. But kind of we are connected. And also when we talk about the the, the Indian sutras and so on, we we know that the interpenetration that has been talked by by many people, not not just Ingo, but kind of referred that one way or another we are interconnected. I remember some experiments done, you know, uh, from the psychological part to see whether uh, mothers and, and childs could experience things uh, far away, you know, and that kind of feels that. Other things that, uh, you know, some, some projects I've heard of where they try to collect uh, information from people sensing something happening. And one of the recollections I have is one, one of these guys researching this, talking about 9-11, uh, that it was incredible how lots of people that usually worked at the towers didn't go to the towers that day. They just felt uh, something was wrong. They didn't want to go. They felt that something was off and they decided not to go. And that's, what, that, that's the feeling that many people felt around the world. So kind of points to the fact that if we look to the broader day-to-day, -day, 
there, there is more overlay than we think about. So if I want to get a little bit technical, be it quantum mechanics or be it general relativity, time, for example, general relativity talks about simultaneity. You cannot say something happened before something else unless you have a reference. And if someone else is watching it from a different reference point, then it could have, have happened the other way around. So probably that's how, depending on where you're looking from in RV, you get different things from the future or the past or whatever. And in quantum mechanics, things like superimpose, like add up to. And if we are led to believe that the Mandel effect is real, then we know that everything is refreshed from time to time. So we may be you know, carrying on traces from something that recently changed and we are just getting that as noise. So lots of research to do, but my, my final point here is that we could gain a lot if we are looking at this from a broader perspective, if we consider RV just part of our own nature and that goes beyond that, right? So that's what I wanted to, to share with everyone. Just a little bit of thinking here, need a little bit of chocolate or something else. It's almost weekend. Thanks, Dr. Pablo. Yeah, great, great thoughts. It's a, it's a conundrum. That's all my my only word for it. And uh, I think uh, I think it was uh, Bill Ray that said it most eloquently many years ago when he just said it's it's just magic. RV's just magic. That's, that's you know I used to think no you know a couple of decades ago I was there young younger and I was like no no we can work this out we can sort out what this is, but now I just think. Oh, it's just too complex. Yeah, it's just if I just say it's magic, then then I can move on. I can just do the RV. <laughs> but thanks, that yeah, Stephen, you've had your hand up for a while as well. How are you? Why can you hear me? I got a question from Stuart. Um, I'm thinking I'm doing your your online course and um. I'm sorry, I didn't quite get that. I, I heard you, you were frightened of something. Um, a few weeks ago, I watched one of these on YouTube, and people kept saying when they were top first started remote viewing, mm. being they saw shadows or beings in their yeah. houses. What I think I I would be frightened if that happened, but I don't know where they're coming from. Okay, yeah. So you were saying. Uh... A few weeks ago, people were reporting that they had extra experiences and they were seeing beings uh, and that kind of stuff. And you'd be worried about that. Um, it see, we just have to be honest, really, that once you start going down the route of training and remote viewing, you are expanding your your awareness of the world. Uh, things do change. Uh, you change as a person because you know you're a your viewpoint of the world and your part in the universe changes. And that does, you know, uh, undoubtedly open you up to the potential for other experiences. And you start, you know, you may start to hear 
and see and experience um, lots of things that are around you. Um, but, you know, you, you have to be aware as well that you, you really don't have to be scared of any of these uh, any of these things you may encounter, you know, you know, if it's like a shadow being or, or some people call it a ghost or a spirit, you know, they call it all, all different kinds of things. Generally, the things you encounter won't be harmful in any way. Um, they may shock you at first because it's a new experience for you, but it generally isn't anything uh, detrimental or harmful to you as a person. Uh, so I wouldn't be scared about it. It just means that, yeah, you're opening up your awareness and um, new things and new horizons are opening up for you. Does that answer your question, Stephen? Yes, um, I have um, I decided to go for um, Stuart um, Basin for one $149 stop before I go pay more money on that. I wouldn't even kind Canon of get too expensive at the moment. So, um, Yeah, I'm sorry, Stephen. I didn't. I didn't quite get that. Oh, I wanted really. to run um, even Buchanan on my course. Yeah, but um, that's it again for me at the moment. It's one thousand nine hundred and something. One thousand nine hundred and something for an online course. Yeah, then Buchanan's. Okay. Are you gonna are you gonna take that one? I don't know. I don't know. I'm considering doing Rex call first. About one hundred and forty-nine dollars. Yeah. Be a very basic one, but I think I'll try that one first. Well, Lynn is very accomplished in what he, he does, and he's trained uh, many thousands of uh remote viewers out there that have gone on to train other people so it should be a good course for you if you you know if, if it suits your uh if it suits your 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 available budget that's what I, all i say to people is um do your research first to make sure that the uh the person you're training with uh is a good fit for you as a person and, and methodology and you know if it fits your your budget as well because you know remote viewing can be done for as little as nothing to you know, ten. I've I've known people spend tens of thousands on on full training. So all I can say is, yeah, uh, you know, make sure you do your research first. But you know, Lynn Lynn has taught many many people and many many teachers that have gone on to teach people. So you'd be in good hands going down that route if that's the route you want to go down. Yeah. Well, well, then, well, I'll do Brett. I'll do this on basic Brett first, and then. Where I go from there. Yeah, you 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 break up quite a lot for me. I didn't quite get that one either. And I won't start. I'm going to do um, Brett Brett's online calls first. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brett was here. He's gone now. Otherwise, he could have uh, hyped that up a little bit. But yeah, Brett's a great teacher and a great remote viewer as well. So that would be a good start for you as well. 
to be honest, I don't think you can go wrong with any any of the methods out there as long as you uh as long as you dedicate yourself to sticking with it for a period of time before moving on to any others. Um yeah, and as I said, just pick one where the teacher and the uh and the budget suits you as, as an individual. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Evangelos, oh, you've been waiting for a while as well. How are you this evening? Hello. Hi there. I'm fine, thank you. As long as uh, remote viewing and remote influencing and the ethical part, for starters. The ethical barriers for remote viewing are uh, less, are lower than remote influencing. Out of experience, what I'm saying, okay? And I won't call it exactly remote viewing and remote influencing because it's not under the protocol of remote viewing. I'll call it telepathic viewing and telepathic influencing, okay? When you telepathic view something, you don't actually change the course of things of how they were supposed to happen. When you telepathic influence something, you might change the course, the natural course of how things should happen. And that backfires if you change it. Okay. Out of experience. I don't have children and I haven't tried it with my sister. But when I realized I can influence other people, it, I did it with my parents. It's very easy to influence your parents. Very, very easy. It needs a great sense of feeling, of feelings, like you do it with your heart. And it's not always with loving kind, kindness. It might be with anger. Okay, it's a feeling. Anger is a feeling too. And you also, on the same time, you synchronize actually your feelings and your focus, your mental focus on what you want to happen. For instance, another thing you can influence is uh, bugs, the flying ones. Like bees, uh, bees are very easily influenced. If they enter a room, it's very easy to influence them get out of them. Out of bugs, the ones that are not so easily influenced are flies and mosquitoes. I don't know if it's something in my subconscious because I might not like them and I cannot influence them so easily, but the rest I influence them very easy, very, very easy. You can try it with uh, worms, the ones that go out on the ground after it, it rains. You can try it with them. You can give them a sense of direction if you want them to go right or left. They are very easily influenced too. Um, we can say that this happens because actually everything as it turns out is connected from with a, let's say, invisible, how we can call it, an, something invisible that connects everything. Uh, actually, the materialistic science that we say we have, we have it 
for the last 120 or 130 years after uh, an experiment that happened uh, in the late uh, in uh, 1890s or somewhere like that. The experiment is called Michelson-Morley. Until then, the scientific community, half the scientists were starting from a paradigm that everything is material and were trying to get uh, explanations about everything in science from the materialistic view. And the other half scientists of the planet were trying, were starting from the paradigm that there is a, an invisible let's call it energy, let's say that connects everything, okay? So they had to figure out which one of the two is correct. So they had an experiment back then, the Michelson-Morley experiment out of the two people that constructed it, Mr. Michelson and Mr. Morley. They did the experiment, got the results, observed the results, and they decided that everything is material. And that invisible net, let's say, does not exist. That experiment was redone. We did it again, 100 years later. That was in uh, 1987 or 1988, if I'm not mistaken. It was done again by the American, uh, I don't remember if it was the American Navy, uh, military Navy or the military Air Force or the American Army. We did the exact same experiment, got the exact same results, but we had better equipment, technological equipment, to observe the results. And we found out that it exists, that net that connects everything. If that net is in quantum mechanics, uh, let's say, it obeys to quantum mechanics and not classical mechanics, then it means that time and space does not exist which gets me back to the thing you said about the TWA 800 uh, flight, that they got three different results. Okay, the viewers might have been looking in the past to see what happened to the, to the aeroplane, why it blew up. Okay, but because on the level they were trying to view it, time doesn't exist. Maybe the future was getting mixed with the past let's say. In the future, what, do I, what I mean by that? Do we know if uh, mass media and the people in general had an opinion about what happened after it happened? Like, for instance, let's say for one week, people thought the first week after the accident, people thought that it was a missile that hit the plane, a rocket. The next week, the second week after the accident, they thought that it was uh, a terrorist attack. And the third week after the accident, they thought that it was a malfunction of the plane and something blew up. And maybe each group of the viewers got the overlay of its different ideas we had about what happened as a society. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Um, we just have to ask the question, why Why do we pick up what might be happening at a societal level rather than getting actual 
data from the target event itself. But yeah, it could be happening. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's great stuff. Okay, so I think we've got rid of all the hands up. Anyone else got anything they want to say from the chat window here? Uh, I don't think there are any questions in the other chat window. In the text chat window. Let me have a look here. That's, if there are no more questions, I would like to ask something openly. Yeah, go for so, it. You recently published a poll where you were asking whether in stage six we will be using modeling or actually advanced sketching. Yes. And, you, you know, because of the way I learned um, TRB first, you know, we were not into modeling. We were more into sketching. And we even got to the, the, the those tools that Ed calls in, in the advanced stages, like flags, faces, and so on. And to be honest, I really uh, got uh, some big fails, but as well some really big, incredible sessions where I was amazed when I got the feedback. Yep. But I was wondering who can share experiences with modeling because for me, that's something I never tried and really seems useful and kind of would love to, to hear what everyone else has to share with it. Yeah, uh, I can start. I, I only modeled about six times. Um, I just didn't get on with it because, I don't know, it, just, it was just, it's just such a pain in the ass, really. I had to get the modeling clay out. You know, I had to sit there and do it. And then, you know, I'd have this 3D model and then to get it back to the uh, to the task, right? I'd have to take pictures of it from like four different angles and then upload the pictures as well, scanning in the session. It's just, for me, it just became too too cumbersome. So I I knocked it on the head, if, I, if I'm honest. I got lazy and didn't, didn't explore it. It just didn't work for me. Maybe air modeling, you know, where you're actually modeling the target with your hands in the air and then, then you're writing the impressions on the paper with sketches. I can see how that would work um, in an operational basis. But for me and the amount of work that I'm doing, it just it just didn't work. But, you know, maybe other people that have got, got better experiences, it, it just didn't work as a process for me. Thanks for sharing that. And really would love to hear more people sharing on that. Any of you guys modeled out there? Hey, Daz, it's Andrew. I got a quick follow-up to that modeling question. Yep. Uh, have you ever thought about trying a 3D program to, to do the modeling with? Would that even work? I thought about it, and I think, and I've also played with um, VR headsets. Um, and I think that the technology is getting there. It's not there yet. Microsoft's got a good augmented reality uh, mechanism using some of their tablets. An augmented reality is a bit like what you've got on, well, some of you have on your mobile phones, whereas, you know, you've got the camera that sees a view and then you can do stuff over the top and, and inter interfacing with the camera view. I think that that in five to 10 years time will be pretty amazing for RV because you'll be able to, you won't have to wear the headset because you'll be able to look at it on a screen, but you will be able to wear a glove or something and you will be able to verbally communicate and say, okay, you know, I feel like there's a structure, I feel like there's a square structure here. And the moment you say it, you might be able to, with your fingers in the hand, actually create a 3D structure in space, but without actually wearing the helmet and then spin it around, add things to it, add color and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's coming. I just don't think we're there 
yet, but I think it's very, I think we're very close to it. I can add something on this because I am a 3D modeler. I was a beta tester for Maxon and Cinema 4D for a number of years. And um, my initial reaction to the question is there's so much left brain involvement in 3D modeling through a program that it would mess up the idea of you know getting signal information because you're constantly dealing with this very complicated interface. Um, that said, I do find it interesting that uh, you know there's this um, uh, painting program in virtual reality, which is kind of like you know just brushing into 3D space. You can literally flow paint in the air it hangs there and you can look around it and you can work with it you can move it around and stuff that's a different kind of approach and i think there might be something there for um, remote viewing in the future i haven't done it but those are just a couple of data points to add to that don i think what where it might work is uh if you do all your rv first and get it out of the way and then maybe a, you know a day later or an hour later as an extra component you know so you're not essentially in the target anymore but you know you then maybe do a composite kind of 3d model or sketch and stuff. so you don't have to worry about the controls interrupting the flow or anything so much it might work in in that scenario uh i would agree with that although i'm I am just starting to get into this intuitive sketching phase in my RV. And um, there's something about, you know, sort of interacting with it in, in the signal line uh, in real time. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I still need to explore this more. Yeah. And that's why I'm loving the, uh, the tablet as well, because uh, it's just got so many tools there. You know, I, I guess it helps because I'm a bit of an artist anyway. Um, but, you know, the, the sketches I'm doing now in RV on a tablet, it's 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 almost like I, I get to the stage three and I, I, I can't wait to get in there and play with the tools because the tools are, on the tablet are just so beautiful in what you can do with the, you know, you can color and you can use pencils and all that kind of stuff. I've seen you. You put color into your sketches now. That's I've, the stuff. I've, I've started to now, and that's that's one of the good things about I haven't got it here about having the color the color tablet as well is you can easily add color and you've got an eraser on on the pencil and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, do do you actually consider okay that's the wrong shade let me change the shade you know do you get into it like that? Not as hardcore as that right now. No, you know it's literally just I'll add a bit of yellow, I'll add a bit of red. This feels blue, and I just add a bit of blue. I'm generally just shading to give dimension to things in the sketches, really. Uh, I haven't gone as far as doing... A You're adding shadows? Oh, yes, yes. Shadows and dimension, yeah. Wow, okay. That's... Um, I can show you something basic, actually. It's, um, let's see if I can pick one up here. I'm going to have a look through some of my RV sessions here just to see if I can pick something up. Uh, where I've done some stuff. Okay, yeah, but you have to bear in mind it's probably a bit of an uh, as a bit of an esoteric type target. Um, but I can show you sketching. I think in it. Well, this was sketching actually on paper. Um, 
but it's you know i can show you some of the i can show you some of the uh kind of sketching i do, i did i do now the shading i do so this was this was an esoteric target if you can see my screen here oh you're getting into the shading yeah yeah and uh you know so this was an esoteric target of a non-human life form so there's you know i, I don't go hardcore into it it's just enough to add some some dimensionality to it so you get the you get the, the feel of it. Is there any more in this one? Uh, and then again, so that, that's like a 3D cross-section of the brain from different angles. And the brain knows. So it's not hardcore sketching by any means. Let me see if I got any others here. Um... And by the way, uh, the thing that you've got on the display right there, that sort of like um, mind map or whatever, yeah. I'd like... I, I've seen you do other um, sessions with that in there, and I'd like to know what that is. Yeah, I can show you that in a sec. Let me just see if I've got any sketches in here. Yeah, so here, look, I'm just using gray just to add a bit of line, a bit of gray there. This was when I was using on paper, and I uh, showed Dimmy this as well, who I'm mentoring in CRV at the moment. Um, let me just stop sharing the screen a minute, see if I can show you these. It's not easy with my background on. So... On paper sessions, just to add, I didn't add color on paper because I didn't want to distract, you know, because in CRV you're talking during in a gray environment, no bright colors and stuff. So just to add dimension to my sketches, I went to the local art shop and I bought these uh, artist markers and they're great because they have a thin end and they have a thick end. And they're, I essentially bought them in shades of gray and I got like cool grays, two, three, and six. So they're just three different shades of gray which I use on uh, sketches like this, literally just to add some kind of impact on dimension without using colors to distract uh, what I was doing within the RV session. Uh, and there's some more there, just bits of gray, you know, just the occasional place here and there, uh, just to add a little bit of depth to your sketches. This is really inspirational. So I find that works quite well. Uh, and now that I've moved the tablet, I've, I've got a lot more uh, tools. But let's go back to the stage five thing. Uh, so we're talking CRV here. In CRV stage five, you're essentially taught that you're not um, essentially, and you can, you can kind of use this at any stage, really. It doesn't have to be stage five. And I've been having a discussion with uh, Tom McNair on this. Because uh, I always said to him, in the CRV stage five called the emanation stage was in the wrong place, really. It just felt like it was an interruption. Uh, but, you know, you could use this anywhere. Anyway, stage five CRV, you're not on target anymore. You're essentially looking inside yourself for all the information you've gathered. And then you interrogate that in a lot more detail. And stage five and CRV, you, end, you write all these topics across the page. And it's like topics, emanations, subjects, animations. I can't remember what they are, but it's emanations, emanations, emanations. And then you try to list underneath all these. You try to break down data and list them under the appropriate category. I can never get on with it. One, because you had to write emanations so many times across the top. It <laughs> bugged me. And I can never understand if the data would go in the, in, it would, if it would go in the subjects category or if it would go in the topics category or if it would go in another category. Me being a creative artist person, that kind of regimented linear thinking just didn't work for me but in um in my design meetings uh you know when we would brainstorm ideas 
we would do what we call mind mapping. So I would, you know, so, and I, uh, so I'm essentially doing the same thing here that in traditional CRV is I would take a piece of information that I'd previously had. And essentially I look back from my sessions and say, okay, what data stands out? But what I, what I do in my RV session is as I'm going through stages one, two, three, and four, if there are any words that I feel are important or not in my normal dialogue, I underline those uh, just so as a note to myself that if I do do a stage five, that might be something that I want to interrogate later for more information. So, you know, this here, this, as you can see here, it says energy visible. Um, this probably would have been a line, this probably would have been a word that I underlined somewhere in, well, you can see some of the lines I've underlined, like culture, long process there. Uh, I've underlined the word seeding there. So the words that I feel are important that might need more explanation that I underline, and that energy one was probably one that I underlined somewhere. And then I take it in stage five. So essentially what I do with mind mapping is, you write the word of focus in the middle of the page, and then you just let your train of thought uh, extrapolate that word out into all its different meanings. So here on one form or fork here, I add, it felt like a form change, shape and density. Something else to do with energy here felt like it was internal flowing. Uh, I can't read my own writing on that there. Core. Are you doing one of these legs at a time or are you sort of yes. like writing? Okay. Yeah, I'm doing a leg at a time and I'm just letting every word that, you know, so I'm saying to myself, okay, what does energy mean to me? Why do I get that data? And the very first words that come in, I'm writing them down and I'm letting the chain just develop. Sometimes these chains uh, interconnect. Sometimes I might have a leg going from here over to here. Uh, this is a need like one example on that. Yeah, I haven't got any others to hand to show you. Uh, and yeah, I literally do that. And, you know, on the next page, I may pick another word. Or it's really good if you get an AOL as well, because we know that AOLs most generally contain part real data and part noise. So you, you can take your AOL into stage five, write your AOL in the middle and start breaking it down into all the constituent little, little, little bits and little components to try and find which is the noise and which is the signal. Wow. Did, did you... Did you see somebody else using this technique? It's pretty interesting. It was literally because, you know, this is what we do in design meetings. You know, if it, being a designer and being brainstorming and being part of the Web 2.0 kind of community, I would be in design meetings, you know, with a big pad in front. You'd say, OK, the problem is this in the middle. You do it and then you break it down into all its parts. But I did you know, a couple of years after I started using this. Uh, David Morehouse also changed his stage five and he started doing uh, mind mapping as well oh, but you can, you can, the question is it's pretty cool yeah i find it i find it works i'm because i'm not that kind of military regimented kind of writing things down in list type person uh i find that this for for me as a creative process flowed a lot better than writing topics emanations subjects animations i can't remember what they all are but it literally was so long and laborious and just writing the word emanations out, like not, I think like seven times across a page. And then, you know, I'd get a piece of data and I'd be like, where does this fit? Is it a topic? Is it a subject? Right, 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 right. Messed okay. me up. I, could, I just couldn't do it. So I never ended up doing it. Uh, which, and this stage five one for me just, just flows beautifully. But you don't have to do this at stage five. You can literally do this. If you've got any word at any stage or an AOL, just drop into what we call a stage five and just do a mind map of it. 
Oh, thank you for explaining that. That is really cool, and I will try that. It works for me. You know, as I said, it's not it's not official CRV, but I think each of us need to find what works for us as as individuals. I so agree. Yeah. Excellent. So how are we with questions? Has anyone else got anything they want to ask or comment on or share? Because we're getting on for nearly two hours there. Yes, I, I have a question for you. Yep. In, in stage six, I know traditionally it's supposed to be modeling with clay and that separate thing, whatever. I I do the same thing you do in stage five. I couldn't do the across the thing with the letters and I got so confused and so uptight about it. I just started doing something very similar. I took AOLs and I just broke them apart yep. and that worked for me. But in stage six, I, I don't model clay. What I do is I heard Paul Smith talk about, he, I think he called it palpating it or palpations, whatever. He took his hands and he said, you could actually put in your hands and feel it and kind of go in your head stage or I mean the, uh, you know, the, target number and see what happens. And I, I find it works that yeah. if I just put the clay in my hands and just touch it and feel it and, and just wait for this uh, more information to come in and it could be sentences, could be colors, could be anything. I'm just, what is your take on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's almost what I do, you know, with the whiteboards and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, air, and I said it like air modeling as well. You don't actually have to model the target. You can actually, you know, be there at your desk and just like, okay, it feels, you know, this part feels flat, you know, right. and you're like doing this and say, okay, you're writing down flat and you're saying, okay, it feels, you know, feels like it's linear at this side and, and do it, do it like that without actually getting any, any physical tools out. But yeah, I would, I would say, to be honest, it's not CRV doctrine, but, Right, right. Any tool, any tool could probably help you. You know, it's a bit like using uh, tea leaves or tarot cards to tell people right. their, their fortunes. Right. You're just using the, the the tool as a device, as a concentration method for you, right. a kinesthetic concentration right. method for you to get the data flow coming. Yeah, so anything would work. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Maybe even Lego. Lego might be quite cool. Excuse, <laughs> get the Lego out. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious. I know you stick probably to the first, say, three stages normally, but do you sometimes find yourself jumping stages and going like I find myself sometimes going from stage three right to stage six? I'm excited about, I got a feeling about something and I want to touch that clay and then I might go back to stage five saying, okay, it was a red truck. Now, what, a red truck, now let's break it apart. What does that mean? It means a fire. There's, there's people running, there's water that, you know, do you ever do that or do you just stick to your normal method i guess you would i would say you know um let me show you it'd be easier if i show you okay uh i'm a proponent uh, uh and i've said this many times crv is absolutely fantastic like any method is great um but the documents show uh in you know the stargate documents show and i know from experience that out of the box crv isn't great for every scenario it's, it's great for training and learning remote viewing but to try to put that as an application towards every uh, operational scenario it doesn't work so what i do and it takes time is i i end up mutating crv for every every project i work so this is this is for this if you can see this screen here this is a target i, I literally just worked for uh crypto viewing and it was a cryptocurrency this week and it's a cryptocurrency called theta uh, so this is the session summary. So yeah, if you guys haven't seen a session summary before, 
this is an idea of how I do a summary. So this is like my typed up summary. Uh, and then the, the bearing in mind, I'm using CRV because I'm looking at something that is intangible to a certain degree, which is a cryptocurrency. I've mutated CRV so that the ideograms now, when I'm doing a cryptocurrency, they don't show me things like life structure, land, or right? Cause none of that's important. What my ideograms are mutated to do when they know I'm doing a cryptocurrency is my ideograms actually show me the market flow of the crypto in the ideogram. Um, so this is theta, and this caused me some concerns on this one, and it's only happened second time in, in uh, three years of doing this, in that most of my ideograms for cryptos follow the market uh, flow, and the market flow usually goes forward because it's day-to-day -day going forward. But this one went backwards first, and that's only ever happened twice. And the first time it happened, it showed it in, instantly told me that, whoa, there's a problem here. So the moment I did this, it was like, whoa, there's a problem here. Just, just, from, just from that pure little bit there alone. Um, and I wrote here, you know, backwards and forwards. So here's my ideograms in CRV for cryptocurrencies. And they are just imitating the flow. And as you can see here, they're all going backwards, which showed me that there was some kind of issue or problem with this. And then uh, it's not worth me doing any sensory data because, you know, it's, it's something that's possibly intangible. So why do I need to taste it, stroke it, smell it, all that kind of stuff? So literally, I just move straight to stage three, where I try to, using sketches, describe the logo or the, or the brand of the crypto. So here's my ideas of the logo and brand. Um, and essentially, the actual logo for this, sorry, I, I can't pull it out right now, but it's called Theta, and its logo is just a T. So I think, you know, by me saying this feels linear and it's graphical and it's connected layers, I think this here was me trying to get the T and then again, this one upside down, which is the T, which is the logo. So I literally go from ideograms to stage three and then I go into stage four and I always ask myself to, this is where we were talking about ethics earlier. I always go and look at the primary person involved with the target, which is always the CEO. So here I'm talking about CEO and I know they're male, that's their age, roughly what they look like, you know, their head, what they're thinking like. And then that instantly brought me to the team. And I knew the team below them were young, pro. They were all male as well. So more on the team stuff here. So I am in stage four, but it's like a, a bastardized version of stage four. Uh, I'm still looking at the team here. So this is all team stuff. And then in stage four, I actually moved to the tech or product only. So I tried to describe the tech or product. And in this case, I just kept getting all these server boxes. Server boxes like a modem here, and you know, so I'm and actually, this is where you can actually see the uh, the sketching I'm doing with the colors on a tablet. Yeah, looks great. So uh, you know, just by a few uh, strokes of the tablet, is adding some, quite a lot of uh, you know okay. dimensional detail to yeah. the sketches. Yeah. Uh, and then I move to another thing. What I do is I move to the um, and again, this isn't even CRV. This is completely made up here. Uh, I move to the people that are hoed or they, we call them hodlers, um, but the people that hoed a cryptocurrency and then they're holding on to it for an investment. Uh, I move to their actual group sentiment. So how they're feeling as a group entity or life form, like a hive mind. Mm -hmm. And I see at different times what they're feeling like. So August, 2021, December, 2021, January, 2022, December, 2022. 
and then uh, July 2023. And I literally just probed the group sentiment of everyone that owns that crypto just to see how they feel at different points in time. So I just write a little note here. Again, this is all just customized for the right. project that I'm working on. Uh, and then I literally do some sketch diagrams of where I, how I think the market flow is going to work, you know, January to August. So that's already happened. And then from August to December, and then next year from January to December. So I do some flow diagrams of how I think the market looks going to be. And then here is just some final freeform stuff at the end. I allow myself at the end to just write anything that's in my head. So anything in my head, I just write it down no matter what it is. No, there's no structure to it at all, just to get it out, which is interesting because sometimes this is actually the most accurate information <laughs> in our entire session. Right. Like, for example, this is called Theta. And it's essentially a, what they call a stable coin and it's backed by gold. So every dollar that's spent on Theta and they, they claim it's something like 60 billion worth of it now has been bought. They have that backed up with $60 billion of gold. Uh, and in, right in the back here, you know, I got, bear in mind, I'm doing this blind. I got this is to do with swaps and this is to do with gold bars and assets, which are high worth. So again, it's, it's a because it's cryptos. It's a it's it's kind of CRV at its core, but I've had to change it to the situation. And uh, when I worked missing people cases, or when I did, I had to do the very same thing because the police were only interested in a GPS coordinate and a description of the target site and nothing else. I had to invent a whole suite of tools where I could try to triangulate a location that I could then find GPS coordinates on the map. And I think I think everyone that takes CRV into the operational realm, you kind of have to change it and mutate it to get the specific information that that client wants for that, that area that you're looking at. Das, can I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. Well, thanks for sharing that pretty yes. lovely procedure, really. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Just wanted to know how do you... Um, approach the S3 thing with the detailed drawings because they are so great. And how do you start? You just start like with a visual or just kinesically, or how do you manage to go with that level of detail without messing it with drawings and spontaneous <laughs> things? Um, let me show you here again. Uh... I mean, I started off. I started off with this one with an idea. You know, I had oh, a flash. Yeah, yeah. I had a flash of imagery in my head, um, but it was fast. You know, and I know the difference between AOL imagery and real imagery. So it was like it was like it's almost like whew, there and it's gone, and it's almost like a memory. Then you're almost thinking, oh, what was that? Like maybe remember the shape. So that's what I drew here, and as you can see, it's really basic. It's just like you know square lines and I knew it had colored lights that were flashing on it and one was red one was green that was that was all I got in that glimpse but then I guess I just managed to I don't know I just I, maybe it's because I'm a, a, or a, you know an artist and a creative I just I, I can't explain it really I just put the pen on the paper and I don't I don't allow myself to think or be judgmental about whatever comes out I think that's that you, you just trust just just put the pen on you know pen on your paper and just allow the trust in what it wants to do in the lines it wants to create and the shades it wants to create. That's all I can say, really. You know, I'm doing this, bearing in mind, I'm doing this for a cryptocurrency that doesn't physically exist. 
and I'm trying to draw the tech and I'm like thinking to myself, you know, if I sat there and analyze this and thought, well, why the hell am I drawing a, a computer part for this for something that doesn't exist? It doesn't make sense really. But mm-hmm. I don't, I just say, you know, be non-judgmental of yourself. Just that, just allow whatever flows. Uh, that's all I can say really. And it, you know, and you can see it's not, it's not brilliant. This is only built up with like, no, but it's it's clear it's minimalistic it's like great it's great it's something to follow really yeah i think the i think really is just i always try to keep the really hardly any colors you know just grays and maybe if there is a, a dominant color like i wouldn't have usually used red or green but i i kind of had the feeling on this in the from my flash imagery that it had a red and green flashing light so i thought i better use color because it just felt prominent but like on the charts here it's just like you know you can see how roughly it's like filled in with a pen it's just like just mm-hmm. just add a bit of dimension to it and i think it helps immensely by yeah just adding very basic shades that's why the pens are good that i showed you earlier for, yeah for, lovely for yeah pencil sessions or on a tablet the tablet it's mind-blowing the tools you have on there because you have airbrushes watercolor brushes all kinds of stuff thanks yeah but it's just play bigger. just play with it honestly just play and trust trust that's all it is mm-hmm. time, just trust yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very thank much, you. Des. That's very inspiring. I have to admit, it's uh, it, it makes you want a remote view now. Some different, uh, you know, like you just said there, kind of experiment a little bit, you know, and, and go for it and stuff. Don't question yourself. Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah. And the thing with adapting the method as well, whatever method you guys are learning, it's good for learning when when you're training and stuff. But when you get in the real world and there's very specific answers and questions that you want, you do have to change what you do you know crv out of the box won't work perfectly for every scenario and you know crv is great in it was designed perfectly for getting bridges and structures and all, <laughs> yeah. and all that kind of stuff right. um but when you you know when you need to i don't know go inside the mind of a scientist or something to describe describe what they're thinking about creating as a tool or you know, when they're going to attack a certain scenario or something that intangible type data is a lot harder to get and record in CRV. So you have to start being a bit more creative in the, in the ways you, you attack that. Excellent. Thank Des, you. How long would, Des, how long would you say that you practice remote viewing before you felt comfortable making those sorts of modifications? Oh, it was definitely five, six plus years, at least I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was well in, you know, I mean, I didn't start doing this, the stage five kind of mind map stuff until probably about a decade ago. So I was probably 10 years in at that stage. And, you know, to my own loss, because I didn't like the stage five, I just didn't didn't use it. A bit like the stage six, you know, I, I should really replace the stage six modeling with more advanced sketches. But again, you know, I do so much RV, I get a bit lazy myself. You know, you get to stage four, you do a bit of stage five, thinking, oh, do I really want to spend an hour doing a sketch? I've been here an hour already. I've got things to do. And, I, you know, I'm like, I'm human like everyone else. We all, we all get a bit lazy. I've only just, you know, I, I showed you my guys my summary. I've only just gone back to actually typing up summaries because for, for the last two years, I, I it was so lazy. I didn't attach summaries to any of my RV sessions. And, and then I looked back at one of my old sessions and saw the summary that I typed up and I thought, wow that's really good why did i stop doing those and i realized it was because i was actually being lazy and adding an extra 20 minutes to doing the rv session but i'm now forcing myself to go back and and attach typed up summaries to all my 
RV sessions because I have to be honest as well, my writing is pretty hard to read at times as well. So some, be aware of that as well. Uh, on top of everything else, a really good typed up RV summary makes makes a difference as well. To the longer ones, you know, if you're doing like an ARV and it's like a page, don't 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 worry about it. Has anyone got anything else they want to share or ask or or anything? Because we're running it just over two hours for the evening. No, I think that's it then. Hey, well, thanks, that, just, guys. Just one last thing. Yeah, go for it. Um, I just want to say thanks for everything you do for the community and the practice of remote viewing. Oh, that's very kind of you. No, I, you know, I like sharing with you guys. Uh, it's all good stuff. Someone shared with me one day and taught me CRV for nothing. So it's my, you know, it's my duty to pass on some stuff to everyone else. It's much appreciated. I don't even do remote viewing myself. You know, yeah, it's just something that's very interesting to me. And uh, man, it's just really cool to see you share this, uh, you know, this time with people and the information that you do. So thank you. No, it's great. It's, it's great chatting to you all, you know, because just for having these conversations, you know, it's great to see the uh, the ideas back, back and forth and everyone's opinions and stuff. So we're all learning. As I keep saying to people, you know, even though I've been doing this RV thing for 24, 25 years, you know, we're all still students. We don't know. We don't know anything about what's going on with this. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed. Excellent. Same feelings. Yeah, same feelings here. Thank you, Das, for everything. Yeah, no, it's great. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back again next week. I'm trying to line up some guests at the moment. Um, some of the guests I'm lining up, there might be uh, just one-on-one interviews. Um, I, I've got an interview arranged with, uh, I don't know if you know, but there's a guy called Nick Pope. He uh, wrote a book called The Hunt for Zero Point. And he also did a, he edited Ingo's last book, Resurrecting the Mysterious as well. I got something arranged with him, but I think I might do a one-to-one on that. Uh, but as soon as I do, I'll, I'll, I'll put that as well. But I'm also trying desperately to get hold of Joe McMoneagle because he, he said he'd come on um, and give a talk. So, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to arrange that soon. It's just a weird time of year because we're in the summer holidays and the kids are off and people arrange in to do things and stuff. So hard to get people right now. But we'll see what we can I arrange. Saw, I saw something in the group saying um, Diane Hennessy Powell might be an interesting guest. I thought that would be. Yeah, if, if anyone's got any details and contact details on that they can pass me, then I'm more than happy to approach anyone. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot this week, guys. It's been a great chat. You have a Thank good weekend and, and a week ahead, and we'll, we'll see each other soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you, guys. Thank Take you, care. everyone. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.